0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 135, November of 2020. And this month, we present the last in our series of plays that were postponed due to COVID. And for this one, we'd like to welcome back playwright Rex McGregor uh, for the first time. And by that, I mean Rex's play this particular crevasse was featured on our episode number 79 way back in August of 2016, but Rex himself never actually appeared due to technical problems. However, we are absolutely thrilled to have him with us this time, and we will feature not only a brand new play, but an interview with Rex immediately following the play reading. Rex's new play is called Threatened Panda Fights Back and was scheduled for production at the Town Street 10-Minute Play Festival in Los Angeles back in April. Threatened Panda Fights Back features Michael Donato as Ling, a male giant panda extremely overweight and quite vain, Paige Anderson as Yan, Ling's mate, a female giant panda who happens to be in heat, oof, Mike Davey as Mr. D, a somewhat weird-looking bird, and Cheryl Mazurka as Mrs. D, also a very weird-looking bird, but cheerful and (laughs) very pregnant. The location is a panda suite at an upmarket zoo, the time, the very near future. Ling is munching on a bamboo stick and posing like a bodybuilder. He is obviously very proud of his overweight physique. He wears a t-shirt with the World Wildlife Federation panda logo. Yan comes in, carrying an armful of bamboo. She is clearly aroused by Ling, but tries to suppress her feelings.
1: Fresh supply, dear.
0: Thanks,
2: Yan, but, but really, you shouldn't. Oh, are you dieting? Don't be ridiculous. People like me cuddly.
1: Well, then?
2: You're always bringing me bamboo. It's not good enough.
1: Would you like something else for a change?
2: Of course not. Pandas eat bamboo, period. Well, then. You embarrass me, fetching and carrying. We have servants to do that. Uh,
1: they prefer to be called keepers.
2: We're not in the wild. Do you want people to think you've been foraging?
1: Sorry, dear. I'll put it back.
2: Leave it. Tempted. Putting it back is as bad as fetching it.
0: Yan dramatically dumps the bamboo on the ground.
2: That's better! Be a diva! Show your superiority!
1: What have I got to be superior about?
2: You're my mate!
1: Am I? I only ask because we've never done any actual mating.
2: Uh, it's an honorary position.
1: I'll take any position.
2: Now, now, look, you know where that would lead. I'm the poster boy for endangered animals. Now, how would it look if we start breeding cubs all over the place?
1: Like a happy family.
2: Like an ordinary one. We're famous and pampered because there are so few of us. Let's not rock the boat. Uh,
1: I wish you'd rock mine.
2: Have some bamboo.
1: No, thanks. Reminds me of what I'm missing.
2: A privileged lifestyle requires sacrifice.
1: Hmm, I love that. What? Doesn't animal sacrifice involve being tied up and eaten?
2: How many times do I have to tell you I only eat bamboo?
1: (sighs) Anyway, Ling, that logo isn't even you.
2: Of course it's me.
1: It was designed before you were born.
2: The first rough draft, but the current version is my physique. Practically a perfect sphere.
1: Well, you spend all your time maintaining your image.
2: My fans expect it. They like me cuddly.
1: If they're after a cuddle, I wish them luck.
2: You know, I've expanded heaps lately. I must be due for another photo shoot.
1: Oh, I forgot. Couple of visitors waiting outside. Wearing cameras.
2: Show them in. Show them in.
1: They're a bit weird looking.
2: Yeah. You can't expect people to be as cute as me.
1: They aren't people. They're uh, birds, I think.
2: You think?
1: Not like any I've seen before. Funny looking beaks. Hardly any wings. Kiwis? These make kiwis look like swans.
2: Uh, Let's not judge. No matter how ugly the paparazzi are, we rely on them. Bring them in.
0: Yan goes out. Ling poses. Yan returns with Mr. and Mrs. D, who have cameras around their necks. Mrs. D is very pregnant and acts like an excited tourist. Mr. D is nervous.
3: Thanks ever so much for seeing us, turning up uninvited and all. Happens all the time in a zoo.
2: Welcome to our humble abode.
3: My, what a gorgeous place. Look, Mr. D, a swimming pool.
1: Big enough for a whale.
2: Too kind.
1: Just for show.
2: We're not aquatic.
3: Oh, neither are we. Apart from the odd paddle. Now, fess up, Mr. D. We do like the odd paddle, don't we? Mm, True, Mrs. D. (laughs) Would you folks mind terribly if we took a few teensy pictures? Go ahead. Just
2: don't ask me to take a dip.
3: Wouldn't dream of it.
2: Ling
0: poses. How's this? Huh? Huh? Uh, a bit to the side, please. Ling moves aside. Still posing. Unaware that Mr. and Mrs. D are eagerly snapping away at the pool. bit more. So, you're not
1: penguins, then? Oh, good heavens, no! We're dodos. Dodos?
2: Dodos. I thought you were extinct. We were. Modern science to the rescue.
1: All they needed was our DNA. A new lease on life must be very thrilling
3: for you. Oh, sure is. Been so much progress and all.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Especially in the accommodation. To think
3: our ancestors used to scratch around in the dirt.
0: (laughs) Mr. and Mrs. D make themselves at home, bouncing on the cushions. And look at us now. We do like
3: the odd bounce, don't we, Mr. D? We do indeed, Mrs. D.
2: Right! Time to leave!
3: No! Don't go just yet! Mm -hmm. We feel bad enough as it is, evicting you out of your former home. (laughs) Excuse me? Mrs. D, I don't think they've been officially informed yet. Oopsies.
2: Informed?
3: Progress brings a whole swag of changes. The World Wildlife Fund wants to capitalize on our success story. They're switching their logo to a dodo, and the house comes with the job.
2: <laughs> Are you crazy? You on a logo? Uh, have you looked in the mirror? Look, look. I don't want to be rude, but you're hardly
3: you know photogenic. Uh. Oh, we know that, but our chippies will be.
1: Mm-hmm. Cute little round
3: faces. Cute little round
1: bodies.
2: <laughs> round.
1: Pandas have always been the symbol of the conservation movement. Well, even historical relics have a expiry date.
3: Now hang on there, Mr. D. No one's talking about expiring. Just relocating.
1: I stand corrected, Mrs. D. Relocating.
3: Where to? I heard the word jungle mentioned. Jungle? jungle? I-, I heard rainforest. Remember, Mr. D, pandas aren't aquatic. You're right, Mrs. D. It was definitely jungle. Much drier.
1: Back to nature, Ling. Maybe it's just what we need.
2: <laughs> oh, uh, oh, well. You know, there's just one thing about this place I won't miss breakfast.
1: What? You don't have breakfast, you eat all day. In the
2: wild! But here, humans feed you what they have for their morning meal.
3: We're partial to fruit, aren't we, Mr. D? And the odd nut. Eggs. Pardon?
2: You'll get eggs. Reptile eggs? Birds' eggs. Boiled. Poached. Fried. Oh dear. Scrambled! Look, humans have, have no sensitivity. They'll beat your offspring to a pulp and serve them up as an omelet. My babies! Did anyone tell you how your ancestors went extinct?
3: C- Clim- climate change?
2: Oh, please.
3: Oh, uh, Mr. D, we have to leave now.
1: I'm-I'm about to lay.
2: we need a place to hide.
1: Where the humans never go.
2: Uh I know. In the alligator swamp. How do we get there? Oh straight through the tiger enclosure, past the giant pythons, and then like take a left at the wolves.
3: Yeah. Oh we can't thank you enough. Mustache!
0: Mm. Mrs. D goes out quickly, followed by Mr. D. (sighs)
1: Oh. Close call.
2: Uh, We can't afford to be complacent, Yan. We need to change our strategy. Being endangered isn't enough anymore. We have to be a success story. You mean? That mate thing doesn't have to be an honorary position.
0: (laughs) Yan smiles and approaches Ling. End of play. Okay, that was Threatened Panda Fights Back by playwright Rex McGregor and featuring the acting talents of Michael Donato, Paige Anderson, Mike Davey, and Cheryl Mazurka. We spoke to Rex McGregor, who lives in New Zealand, by the way, about the genesis of this really funny script.
4: Okay, um, a lot of my work is the result of prompts or requests from theaters. And this was a request not so much from a theater, but a... A group in Los Angeles that were looking to um, promote a, a theatre show about endangered species. So that was the prompt. You had to write a 10-minute play about an endangered species. So I was thinking about what I could do with that. So I picked the cuddliest endangered species I could think of yeah. and went from there and um, included the dodos as a um, contrast yeah and uh, that play has been very good for me because um it took a while after the that first request for it actually to be produced in los angeles but in the meantime it i sent it out to another um few shows like short and sweet which have um mm-hmm. productions yeah. in los angeles and in australia and new zealand and yeah. they branch into other places as well so i've had um, over a dozen productions of that of uh, Threatened Panda now, and it's been interesting because it's a very flexible sort of show and how it's produced. Um, Yours is the first one that it's done purely as audio. And when it's done on stage, um, in the um, stage directions, I've I've just said, um, you know, the makeup can be done very simply. But some people have um, done full panda costumes, for example. Uh, Um, They're doing the birds.
0: Yeah. I, I, I thought it was great, and the, the introduction of the dodos, considering that they have been extinct for a while, just turned the whole play around for me. I mean, we began with the pandas meeting the pandas, and you brought that in so well that here they are. He's resting on his on his ample laurels, um, mm. as you know, the, the the logo for the World Wildlife Federation, and. Well, Wildlife Fund. Um, And then all of a sudden, the science kicks in, and we get the least expected visitors possible. How did you decide on dodos?
4: Oh, well, because they were um, funny, to begin with. Okay,
0: All right, well, dodo, come on, yeah.
4: Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, um, I like um, things that can be turned into humor. Another play recently I did on turkeys, and, you know, just turkeys themselves are so funny that, Oh, yeah. It just helped white itself. But um, it's interesting, the dodos have been um, a highlight that they've been interpreted in so many different ways in these productions. Um, Some people have gone really overboard with them. Some have made them like um, typical American tourists because there is that element with their cameras. Uh, So different ways of interpreting it. And and one of the funniest... um, Ones that I've seen, I've only seen um, production photos. Is they did the entire thing with puppets because the director was a skilled puppeteer, so she made really hilarious um, dodo puppets. Wow! Whole show like that. That would have been really interesting to
0: see. Mm. Yeah, cool. Well, I guess as it is, theater adapts to almost any medium, um, especially when you have the lore of having somebody who wants to do costumes. I mean, you've got pandas, you've got dodos. And like I said, you could do it very simply, budget-wise, and just get the idea across and, and do the text and have fun on stage. Or you could absolutely load it up with, you know, pa- I mean, panda. Co- who researches dodos? I mean, they've been extinct for a number of years. That must have been some piece of craftsmanship to uh, for the, the costume department of wherever to come up with.
4: Mm. Yeah, so it, it's purely up to the um, director how they choose to interpret them, and they've yeah. all gone on different directions. So it's it's very interesting for a playwright to see a work um, produced in totally different ways. Mm-hmm. It makes it quite clear that um, there's three roles in theatre, I always say. that like, There's the writer who's in charge of the script, there's the director who's in charge of the production, mm-hmm. and then there's the actors who are basically in charge of the performance.
0: Right. And
4: often um, people aren't aware of the where the boundaries lie. And it's only when you see multiple productions that you really come to realise that, oh, that's a really good joke, so it works all the time, no matter yeah. who's doing it. But sometimes there will be little um, nuances that are brought out in a particular production that aren't considered in others. So it becomes quite clear once you see various productions what the strength of the actual script is rather than the actors or the direction in the production.
0: Yeah, no, I find it fascinating um, seeing different productions of one's own work Mm. and the perspectives involved because, as you said, the first theatre might do it one way and hit this joke and that line and... And, mm. and and work it into a certain you know, mode or mood or that sort of thing. And then the next theater will do something completely opposite. And sometimes the jokes that worked in the first one don't fly in the second one, but other things do. Mm. And it comes back to that whole thing that faces us as playwrights. How do I make this point? How do I make this resonate? How do I make this funny? And when you sit back and realize that if your play is done by multiple venues, you have very little control over that. You can just basically put in the best you've got and cross your fingers.
4: Yeah, so a lot of it is um, writing the script and letting it go. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I often get requests for, um, perhaps to change the gender of a character,
0: mm-hmm. and yeah. if it's
4: not essential to the play, if the play isn't about gender, it's usually fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've done that myself. I, I had a married couple in one play and um, the director came back and said, can we possibly, possibly consider making this a gay couple because the actors who auditioned are so perfect in this. And I looked at it and I realized it didn't need to be a straight couple. And I was like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Um, that production I was lucky enough to see. And he was right. They were absolutely electric on stage. Could not have imagined a better pairing. That's what I love about theatre. I mean, it's different every time. So I was looking over your website, rexmcgregor.com, and you have written quite a number of plays. Do you happen to have a total? Because I was looking through these giant lists oh. of... How many yeah, plays
4: you Probably, I've, if you're just looking at short plays, I've written about 100 short plays. Wow. And uh, possibly about a dozen longer ones. Yeah. yeah. How long have you been uh, doing I'm this? I'm really specialising in the short plays because oh, I yeah. get them produced more easily. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's a commitment time-wise. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Short, um, short plays. I enjoy um, writing in a com- quite compressed way too, and I also enjoy responding to challenges. You know, when a mm. theatre is write a play about this or that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've had some really strange requests re- recently, like I just mentioned turkeys that, I would never have thought about writing about turkeys but it was in one of the requests you know, one of the prompts and um, I've had other ones like one was use a, a bat skeleton and when you have to f- focus a play around a bat skeleton where do you go? So I used yeah. it, uh, it was about a, a play about an artist who was using it as a modern artwork to be provocative Yeah, yeah. okay it's it's a Sorry, great, yeah. doing it in different directions where you do things that you wouldn't normally have thought of.
0: It's a great challenge for your creativity. Mm. Yeah, well, like I said, you've got you've got dozens and dozens and dozens of plays there. I was absolutely wowed. I need to get back to my uh, my my uh, process. Just to give
4: an example, too. Um, I, I see you, George, have written a play that featured the Battle of Bosworth. Yes. How many other playwrights have you spoken to that have also written a play that featured the Battle of Bosworth? None. Now, <laughs> because yeah, I've written one called um, Henry the Seventh, if Shakespeare was honest, which is a comedy version of what happens at the Battle of Bosworth, and the villain turns out to be not Richard the Third, but also not Henry the Seventh. Ah, so, okay.
0: Uh, this is going to be. I'd really like to see that. Yeah. Um, yeah, we should we should compare scripts. Well,
4: so, I mean, I, I saw on New Play Exchange your um sample of um your your version, and um, yeah, we'll swap.
0: Yeah, okay, sounds good. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see that because yeah. i I'm, I was I was obsessed with the character of Richard III, Third, and I had to cover the battle. And I thought I don't have there's no way we can cram this many people <laughs> onto a stage. So I thought the best way to yeah. do it, cast it.
4: And so that, that was an example of a play that I wrote as a yeah. in response to a request for a play with heightened language, which is mm-hmm. what all theater in New York requests. But focusing on villainy, I believe it was.
0: Yeah, well, mm. he's legendary for villainy. Mm. So, okay, let me ask you one of the more obvious questions that playwrights get asked these days: How's how's it affected your writing? Uh, since COVID and the advent of Zoom. Um, I'm assuming you've done some Zoom plays, you've probably done quite a few, but going back from the old way of doing things to the new way of doing things, how does that put you as a writer now?
4: Um, It's actually been very good for me, unlike a lot of other people in the world. Um, Until um, this came along, I was um, getting a few productions a month, usually, if I was lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, my short place now if i got three three productions a month that was a good a good month but um, since um COVID hit i've had far more zoom productions than at any other time in my writing career and i've actually even got into um, producing a few of myself because it's so easy you just i've got con- connections with so many actors primarily in the u s nowadays but yeah. um, if I want to do a reading of one of my scripts i just contact them and we do it so um also one of the plays that i wrote specifically for zoom called the birds are feeding me has had um seven zoom productions so far just in the last few months and a couple of audio productions and it's got a couple of publications coming up and a few more productions coming up so that's one play that um yeah. Specifically deals with um, isolation and people. Three um, tenants in an apartment building dealing with a particular issue of birds landing on a, uh, on a balcony and doing their business. And one character is a banker who resents this. And it's it's all about um, the healing power of nature and also um, how people um, come together as neighbours in a time of crisis. So it's it's. I think it's quite a well-crafted play, and it's obviously resonated with a lot of theatres because yeah. they're snapping it up a lot more than um, any of my other works. So, um, my most popular play is still *Threatened Panda*, but this one is um, getting up there. Nice. It's had so many productions recently.
0: That's that's wonderful. Yeah, it's the whole Zoom thing has turned theatre into a completely different animal. Um, yeah. I mean. I don't know if we'll ever get used to not being in a theater watching people live on stage a couple of feet in front of us. I'd love to get back to that, um, you know, if, if we possibly can in, in all safety and such. But the whole Zoom thing is I find myself watching the actual Zoom production, the tech, mm. actually more than listening to the words come out sometimes. I feel like I'm watching Hollywood Squares or the Brady Bunch, you know what I mean? Um, because of the way everything is set up. And it's redefining the profession. Like, math, Yeah, because now we're writing for... We always wrote for the medium, but the medium was the same for the past 2,000 years. Yeah,
4: yeah.
0: And now it's completely different.
4: Yeah, I'm sort of um, writing about 50-50 now, so... About half the plays I write are still for the stage, but can yeah. be adapted for Zoom, and the other half are specifically written for Zoom. Like um, one of the uh, most recent ones I've done that I'm organising reading for at the moment is called "Tricky Intervention," and it's about um, four young climate change activists who are meeting on a Zoom meet format yeah. in order to um, discuss a particular issue, and uh, it, it's it's up a lot of opportunities for comedy and another thing I've done particularly with that play is I'm reusing characters that I've created earlier Mm -hmm. and um, in this particular play I've taken four separate characters that were in four totally different plays just to um, see what happens when they all come together Mm -hmm. and it's easier for me in a way because I almost know these characters what you know when you write a short play you're starting from scratch usually and mm-hmm. just getting to know the characters takes time but when you've got already a, a, a an existing lot yeah. of characters it's a bit, it comes a bit more like um writing for a tv sitcom where the characters are already established in your mind sure, so you yeah create a new situation for them yeah so I'm actually enjoying that very much and uh I had an interesting experience yesterday, for example. I had, um, in the morning, I had a rehearsal of The Birds Are Feeding Me, which, um, in Margaretville, New York, and that features a character called Kim. And a couple of hours later, I was on a Facebook Live um, production of um, a group of Harry Potter plays, and that featured um, one of my scripts called Tickle That Dragon, which also features Kim in a totally different, Role. Huh. Because that was written quite a few years ago. So it was interesting to see the same character in the same day. Yeah. Two totally different um situations. Now so
0: yeah, how yeah.
4: theater is opening up now. Nothing like that would have happened pre-COVID.
0: No, no, it's good changing things around completely. It's uh it's almost theater for TV now. Um the thing about Zoom that uh, that it makes it possible to do so many more strictly audio plays because in, in many cases we don't bother with the tech for video. I mean, I've seen a couple of plays do tech for video. They have the same set in different locations. Um, and they somehow stitch it all together. Somehow they switch back and forth between one location and the other, or they just cut it. But, um, it was an, it was a really interesting attempt to keep the old way of doing things alive, you know. Um, but again, audio plays are gonna are gonna boom now because of this.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. Um, another thing I've been teaching myself is um, video editing. Okay. So yeah. Zoom production, I can do you know fancy um, titles and credits, and um, mm-hmm. like, even if there's like an awkward pause at times or a little fluff of lines, I can snip that bit out of the out of it. So. It's,
0: it's a useful skill to have, too. It is. It's a very useful skill to have. Um, yeah, it's, the amount of audio work I do, too, uh, not just plays and, and but interviews and other things like that, it becomes very, uh, very interesting. Um, I've also done a few short movies, too, which takes an awful lot of time, much more time than anybody realizes. But it's mm. absolutely engrossing and wonderful. Um, I got two more questions for you, and then I'm going to let you get back to probably writing your next 23 plays that you're gonna to write today. Um, being as prolific as you are. Um, any, you got any kind of insight, advice for playwrights just starting out? Is there any such thing that we can say to help, you know, to help folks move along on the, on the playwriting path?
4: Yeah, yeah, I think one key thing is the play has to be about action that's happening now Mm-hmm. It's happening here, and it has to be this particular action. They're often like um, plays that people write about some some trauma that somebody's had in the past, or something that's happening elsewhere, or about somebody, somebody entirely off stage, or some action that isn't happening right now. So the key thing, particularly with a ten-minute play, is it has to be really focused on you know the now, the here, the this. Yeah. I think that's one of the key things. And the other thing is you need to have um, drama. And that drama comes from conflict. So there needs to be some conflict that has to be resolved in some way. It doesn't mean that the issue has to be settled, but there has to be some satisfying conclusion to it, so that there's an arc. Right. And I think a lot of plays don't have that. Those are, those are my main um, yeah. parts of advice, I would say.
0: Good pieces of advice, especially the second one, I think. Um, that's I think, is the actual harder one to do, finding some, because people, you got to get used to putting the dramatic action into the drama. Um, You are a librarian for the Auckland Central Library. Um, I, I thought you'd, with all the playwriting, you'd be sick and tired of being around words all day.
4: Yeah, well, that's, it is around words, a lot of it, and um, a lot of um, work these days involves Zoom meetings too. Yeah. So um, if you'd asked me a few years ago what my role in the librarian was, I would have said, oh, yes, I buy the books and I do the selection. Mm-hmm. But all that has changed quite recently. So what happens now is we do a lot of um, outsourcing. So my role now is more in managing the suppliers, usually based in Australia, who supply the books to us in New Zealand. yeah, so every, The world of librarianship is changing quite rapidly. Yeah, and of course, everything's up in the air now with um, um, COVID because yeah. um, we had, we had um, quite a severe lockdown in New Zealand for a couple of months and then we were COVID free right. for 100 days and then we had a sh- just recently another short lockdown and we just come out of it. But the result of this on... Um, the Auckland Council finances have been quite dramatic because we're a very large council and our library um, includes 55 branches. So we're a very large system. And Auckland Auckland itself is what they call a super city. So geographically, it's it's huge. We don't have a gigantic population, but geographic spread, we're, we're huge. Yeah. And um, our council re- relies on money from building consents and parking fees and they weren't getting any of that revenue from the lockdown during that period so there's a lot of budget pressure we've had huge cuts and there's likely to be some staffing cuts over the next few months so Mm -hmm. it's not going to be a very pleasant time
0: yeah no that's 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 what's affecting me
4: personally um i've been gradually reducing my hours anyway so at the moment i'm only working three days a week and I'll be reducing that further. So that will give me more time for writing, which
0: is mm. fine. Are you looking at retirement soon or?
4: Um, not not full retirement, but I like the idea of semi retirement where you yeah. actually reduce your hours considerably. Yeah.
0: I think we should all be semi retired for most of our lives. A it's a so much more pleasant way to work.
4: Yeah, a lot of people who actually just work hard forty hours a week and then suddenly stop cold turkey. Wow. Yeah they're not used to, you know, what do they do with their time? But um, I never, I, I'm always pressed for time. I've always got things to do. Um, so I, I like the idea of just having a little bit more, but it's yeah. good to um, get some money coming in.
0: It is good. But now you have much more time for writing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good and for I'm you.
4: Thinking, um, it's The other thing, um, getting back to the advice of playwrights, it's, it's yeah. not just the writing. I mean, in the early days, I would, I, I basically spent, 100% of my time, my writing time on the writing. But nowadays I do more on editing, promotion and um, basically um, schmoozing and um, contacting other people about productions. So it's all um, promotion is almost 50% of it now, I would say. You should give a Just webinar
0: on that subject because a lot yeah, of us could I use think that. It is,
4: it is really. I mean, I've got a lot of works and I've had a lot of productions, but I've still got other works that haven't been produced. And it was interesting. um, There was a group of um, ex-Kiwis in London that were thinking of doing some Zoom recordings and they were just doing some requests for scripts. And I was thinking, oh, this looks like a a group that doesn't really know. Maybe they don't really know what they're doing. They were just starting out. So I thought, I'll bring out one of my um, least likely to produce plays. And this was a play called Queen Takes Emperor about um, Queen Louise of Prussia meeting Napoleon. Mm -hmm. It's a script that I've hardly ever sent out to anybody because I think, oh, nobody's ever going to produce this. It's so obscure. But I actually like the play. And when this group um, produced it, they got a character who was um, played by an actor in London and they got a character from played by an actor in Christchurch, New Zealand. And they were wonderful. And the director loves it so much too, she wants to produce it on stage. And it was a really, really beautiful production, so it's on um, my YouTube channel, Queen Takes Emperor if anybody wants to see it, it's the sort of play that I never thought would have a life but the produ- the um, actors got so into it that it's, it's a del- delightful production I think yeah. Nice, that's so wonderful There's a lot of um, um, stuff in my back catalogue that hasn't been picked up yeah. because you know yourself the, the theatre field is so competitive that if mm-hmm. it's really popular it's not likely to get picked up by a theatre to be produced.
0: Well, you got 5,000 playwrights. In uh, so.
4: Yeah, in this environment, a lot of those um, you can actually put on Zoom and maybe they'll have a limited audience. No, Not everybody's going to be interested in Napoleon and, and Louise of Prussia, but I think there is an audience. Never know.
0: For, I think yeah, there's an audience for pretty much everything, yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, Rex McGregor, it's been wonderful to finally talk to you and to yeah. meet you online. Uh, and thank you so much again for your time to talk and for Threatened Panda Fights Back. We had a ball producing that one. Um, we hope. How can my audience find out more about you?
4: Uh, they can go to my website, rexmcgregor.com, or if they want to w- watch some of my work. Just type type Rex McGregor into YouTube, find my channel. There's a a channel called Rex McGregor Plays, and I've got um, quite a lot of um, productions in video form on there now.
0: Fantastic. Great. Well, thanks very much, and good luck. Take care of yourself during these crazy times. Thanks, George. Hey kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage, is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or work in a part of theater we haven't covered yet, or know of someone in the theater who would make really good chat? send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. Onstage Offstage believes in and advocates for a world where all people are free to live their lives as they wish, in peace and without fear. We believe in universal respect, diversity, and equality in all areas of life for all people, no matter what their nationality, race, religion, age, sexual status, or gender. Onstage, Offstage will never promote or endorse those who seek to diminish others because of who they are. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again for listening. And please, kids, stay safe. Be careful for yourself and for those with whom we share this rock. And as always, happy theatering to all of you.